Well, good morning to you and Merry Christmas. Just as surely as he came the first time, what's he going to do? He's coming again. He's going to come the next time. This morning, I want us to conclude with a series that we have been studying over the last several weeks. As we've talked about the birth of our Savior, we talked about uh, where uh, he was going to be born, uh, when he was going to be born, how he was going to be born, and why he was going to be born. All important questions, uh, all pointing to the accuracy, the legitimacy of the Word of God. How precious it is as it reveals these, these truths to the church, the body of Christ, so that we can know with certainty that God's word is true. When we looked at the where, God's word's very clear, in Bethlehem, but not just in Bethlehem, but where in Bethlehem, at the flock tower, the Medal Igdar, which in Micah 4.8 told us where in Bethlehem, specifically the Messiah was to be born, and it's the flock tower where the special shepherds would bring all of the lambs that were destined for the sacrifice in the temple were cared for. Those special ewes that gave birth to those special lambs that were to be used for the, the sacrifice were cared for, specifically being swaddled, being wrapped in swaddling cloths so that these lambs would be without blemish, spotless, and this swaddling cloth would, would protect them. That's why it was a sign to the shepherds. Behold, I show you a sign. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. These shepherds, they understood what was being said. So there, not only in Bethlehem, but where at the watchtower where these shepherds would watch for these special lambs, the reason there was no room in the inn is because naturally a dad's going to want to take his his wife that's about to give birth to their child to a place like the inn to have the baby. But there's no room because God had another special place. There where the ceremonial lambs were birthed, there where they were wrapped in swaddling cloths to fulfill that type, Christ being the shepherd, Christ being the spotless lamb to die for all the world. So it tells us where, it tells us when, in order to meet the type of the Feast of Tabernacles, which we know that that is September the 29th, but something really special did happen on or around December the 25th, and that was the conception when the Holy Spirit came into Mary and Christ was conceived. So where was the flock tower? When? It was around September the 29th, with emphasis on he, the word became flesh and tabernacled, fitting the feast of tabernacle. All this is important to show to us the consistency of the scriptures, pointing that God knows exactly what it is he's doing and that we can believe it and accept it and trust it without doubt. Then you, he tells us specifically when John the Baptist was going to be born. He gives us all the facts and figures to fill that out. And then tells us that Christ was born six months 
after that. It, it's just a, a phenomenal, a phenomenal story of God wanting us to know these details. So where, when, how was through the virgin birth? We've talked about the virgin birth. It's abs- and its absolute necessity. Without the virgin birth, there could be no payment by the spotless, sinless Son of God. Without the virgin birth, without the virgin birth, the cross is meaningless. Without the virgin birth, the empty tomb is powerless. That it took the virgin birth in order for Christ to be the one and only that could be that substitute for our sin. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow, what a what a trade-off. What a trade-off. Trading my sin, the debt that I owed for his righteousness. And what that indicates is why Christ came. Why was he willing to do that? And I'm going to go right straight to the answer. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reason that God would go to these lengths in order to buy my pardon, to buy your pardon, is because he loves us. Romans 5.8 tells us truth of God's word that he commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we ever loved God, before we ever knew him, he commended his love toward us. You talk about love. While we were still enemies with God, he loved us. First John chapter 4, verse 19 tells us that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. What a glorious truth that we have to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. It's not an understatement because it's what God directed the angels to say. But Luke chapter 2, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men. That's what God directs toward us in the birth of Christ the Savior, was good will toward men. What we have to understand from Genesis to Revelation, the revealed word of God tells us of the love of God and his desire to fellowship with his creation. From Genesis to Revelation, the theme is God desires to fellowship with his creation. And after the fall, the salvation that he offers to every one of us is so that he can connect and recreate you in his image. He recreated you in order to have fellowship with you. What an amazing God we serve. 
He desires to fellowship with his creation. Those created in his image. That's what he said, let us make man in our image. And here's the good news. Now that you've been recreated, now that you've been made a new creation in Christ, now that you have been saved, God is working in your life to conform you to the image of His Son. Philippians 1, 6 saying, Being confident of this one thing, that He who's begun a good work in you, and what is that good work? To conform you to the image of His Son. Why? Why should He care? Why should it matter? It's because He loves you. He desires to have a relationship with you, a personal relationship with you, more than you desire to have a relationship with Him. And that's saying a lot. You understand that, right? But He loves us. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, tells us why He came. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you know who all that includes? If it includes you, raise your hand. Every hand ought to... To seek and to save that which was lost. You were lost. That's the reason Christ came. Now, I want us to be clear on something. The biblical history not only describes and details God's amazing love that He has for mankind but it also describes his attitude toward sin. See, God is not just a God of love. He is that. He's not just a God of mercy. He is that. He's not just a God of grace. He is that. But he's also a jealous God. He's also the true and living God who hates sin. It's what God's Word tells us. From Genesis to Revelation, God is saying, I love you. I am going to go to this extreme measure of sending my only begotten Son in order to die at the hands of cruel, heartless, wicked, rejecting men in order so that you can have a relationship, and that relationship can be restored. The Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it talks about that. But it also details how much he hates sin. And the measure he was going to go to in order to forgive those who have sinned. That's you and me. And the only way that he could accomplish this was exactly the way God did it. And Christ was born of a virgin. Born the in God in the flesh. God incarnate. Sinless. Willing to die for the sinful. The sinless. Willing to die for the sinless. A sinful. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 tells us that death really had no claim on Christ. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But John 10, 17 and 18, Tim. tells us that he laid his life down willingly. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. 
He willingly laid down his life. When, when you go to Matthew 27 and you go to John 19 and it describes the crucifixion and all that took place on the cross, we see Christ yielding his spirit. We see him giving up his spirit willfully. When they came and they pierced his side, he was, that was to make sure that he was dead. He was already dead. He laid down his life at the appropriate time when he yelled, when he, when he declared from the cross, it is finished. He yielded up the ghost and he died. Why? To buy our pardon. Because he loves us. The sinless, the sinless one dying for the sinful ones. And it's a virgin birth that enabled him to be qualified to be that debt payer. Without the virgin birth, he would have been just another, another really good guy dying for some probably really good people. But the cross would be meaningless the empty tomb would be powerless without the virgin birth, without him doing what he said he was going to do. The next reason, the next why, is because it was according to Scripture, right? If you say you're going to do something, what do you need to do? You need to do it. If the Word of God has said this was going to happen in this manner, then it needs to happen in that manner, or the Bible's not true. So the reason why Christ came, the reason he died on a cross, the reason he was born the way he was born, is because that's the way that God declared it was going to happen. It was to give credence and validity to the Scripture. All the prophecies, all the prophecies were fulfilled without exception. Doesn't that tell us something? That every prophecy concerning the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection, all of those scriptures have been fulfilled. If those have been fulfilled, you can bet, you can bet that the scriptures concerning what he's planning on doing with the church, the body of Christ, us, will also be fulfilled. Somebody once said, ah, they're just a bunch of old fables. Just a bunch of old fables. You can't prove any of this. You can't prove that that happened. Well, by faith, I believe it. And guess what? I don't have to prove it. I believe it. But guess what you also can't prove? Can anybody here prove that Washington crossed the Delaware? Can anybody here prove that Columbus sailed the ocean blue? Can anybody here prove the Revolutionary War happened? The Civil War? Can anybody prove? No, we rely on credible witnesses who were there who said, this is how it happened. Same with this, folks. Except it's proven itself to be true because of Christ 
living in our hearts, in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit that as we study just makes it come alive in our hearts. The truth of it is there. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. What pleases God is for us to read the pages here and to know that what it says is true, it's accurate, and it's from God. And it's His way of saying, I love you. I love you. I want you to know me. I want you with me for eternity in heaven. It's what God's Word tells us. But the Word said it was going to happen the way it happened, and it did. But you also know that, turn, turn to Matthew 2. Turn to Matthew 2. Here's the thing about the, the Word of God. There are so many details that surrounded the birth of Christ that if it did not happen the way it happened, there could have been people to say, Wait, wait, wise men... There were no wise men. Well, shepherds? Why well, didn't the shepherds could have said, "Hey, we were up there on the hillside, and yeah, there was a there was a light. We wondered, what, you know, is that an alien? What what's going on here?" They they could have refuted what had happened, but no one refuted it. People embraced it. They accepted it. They believed it. And I'm going to tell you something else. Kings have tried to stamp this Bible out. Well, not this particular Bible, but the Word of God. Kings and rulers, leaders of the world have tried to do everything in their power to challenge it, to deny it, to burn it, but yet here we are still preaching it. And i got to tell you, that tells you that it's true. Amen? But Matthew chapter 2, they could have said the wise men didn't come. But the wise men came, and, and look what it says. Look at verse 1, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, they could have said, wait, 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 that's not when, when that happened, or was Herod really the king? But they could have... The Bible wants you to know it even tells you when it happened when Herod was king. That, that's pretty amazing. If it were not true, you know, if you, if you want to tell something that's not true, let me give you a hint. Leave out the details. It's the details that will trap you every time. Here, it happened this way, is what it says. Behold, there came wise men when Herod was king from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the heaven, or in the east, and are come to worship him. Now, the reason they went to Jerusalem, a couple of reasons. Number one, that's where uh, the star led them. This was almost two years after Bethlehem. You need to realize this. This, this Matthew 2 incident is two years later. At this, time, at, at this time, Mary and Joseph and the Lord Jesus had already gone up to Galilee. We know that from Scripture. We know that from Luke chapter 2. When this takes place, 
He's no longer a baby in a manger. He is a child in a house. Two years later that the wise men finally get there. But they go to Jerusalem because where else would the king of Israel be born, right? So they came looking. We've seen his star, the star of Numbers 24. It talked about that scepter that shall not depart from his, his hand. It talks about that star. These wise men who were Jews that were there since the dispersion that stayed there, not all of them came back. These were wise men. They, were, they understood the prophecy. They saw that star. They recognized it as a, that star. They had been looking for that star, and they saw it, and they understood that the, this is the one whose out of his hand the scepter will not go away, will not be taken away. And so they come to Jerusalem. We've seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. That gives you an idea of the wickedness, of the conditions that existed in Israel and Jerusalem at that time. It was the Messiah, the promises of the Messiah, the glories of the Messiah, the blessings that were to come upon Israel, they were all but their hearts were so hardened and so turned away from God that they didn't recognize. Herod, I can understand why he would be upset. I'm the king, and I'm not Jewish, by the way, and I really shouldn't be on the throne. Oops. But it says, all of Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently, there's a reason the word diligently is there. Inquired of them diligently, what time did that star appear? So he wanted to know how long ago, I'm not sure if that's what Herod sounded like, but how, how long ago did that star appear? And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child, the Padion, not the Brifos, by this time, he's a child. He's almost two years old. I'm going to show you how we know that in a second. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may worship him also. Yeah, right. Right. And when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till, the word till there. Uh, indicates and implies distance. Remember, he was born in Bethlehem, but 41 days later, they were up in Galilee, in Nazareth. The young, uh, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek, to seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. See, God's even taking care of that scripture to make sure that nobody could say, Well, yeah, wait a minute, the word, he was going to be in Egypt. How did it come by? How did he get to Egypt? What, what, something had to fill that gap in. God's word does that for us. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently, there's that word again, inquired of the wise men. Now, what this tells us is if this had not happened, there are so many details wrapped up in this story, that people could have refuted it. They could have said it didn't happen this way. They could have challenged it, but it is a historical, true event. And it's not blind faith that causes you to accept this. God, yeah, it, God wants you to believe it by faith. But you see the extraordinary measure he goes to to detail it, so it's just not blind faith. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it is to believe God's Word. Amen? It takes more faith to believe that we got here just by a gigantic burp, that it just happened through evolution. That takes faith. So we know from God's Word that He loves us, we know from God's Word that His Word is true. We can trust it. But the third thing, the why He came, is so that He could be just and the justifier. See, that's important. So that God could be just and the justifier. Do you realize that you can't justify the guilty? If you desire to be just, if you desire to be just, you cannot justify the guilty. And God is just. Because God is just, He can't just say, okay, you're so cute, you're so lovable, you're so adorable, I'm just going to forgive you anyway. That would not be just. The guilty must be must receive payment. And God is just, and you're sinful. So in order for God to be just and justify you, and we know what justify means, means to declare righteous, right? It means to declare you righteous. If God is just, on what grounds, on what basis, is He going to be able to declare you righteous or justified? Because payment has to be made. Payment has to be made. 
God will never say, you know what, I made a mistake in what I told Adam, therefore, let's just forget all of that and just come on home. God can't do that because he's just. He's just. The fact that God is just should cause brave men to tremble. Our situation, hopeless. No way to save ourselves, no way to undo what was lost in the garden, except for one way. And when Christ says, I am the way, the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. He is presenting that way. It's through Christ Jesus. The Son of God, virgin born, the only one qualified to be the debt payer. The only one qualified to take my place. So we need to understand, it's not just about the forgiveness of sin. It's about the payment for that sin being paid. It's not just about forgiveness of sin. It's about how will you be made a new creation? On what grounds, based on what payment, can you have that reconnection, that reconciliation with God take place? And it's through what Christ paid on Calvary's cross. That baby that we celebrated yesterday, whose birth we celebrated yesterday, that baby in the manger became the man of the cross and the man who was resurrected from that tomb. God in the flesh. God incarnate. He became sin for us. And like I've been saying all along, all along, the birth of Christ is worth celebrating. Amen? When you take all of that into consideration, when God tells us where, He tells us when, He tells us how, He tells us why, when you look at all of that, that's worth celebrating, not to mention the angels did a pretty good job of it themselves, declaring to the shepherds, I bring you great tidings, good tidings of great joy. They celebrated it. We should celebrate it. And that was the beginning of God providing the way so that He could be just and declare us righteous because payment in full for our sin was going to take place by that one that was virgin born from Mary. So what we need to do is seize the opportunity every chance we get to share the story that he is king of kings He's the Lord of Lords. Amen? And He still is.
Amen. Tim's going to play a video that declares that truth in such a phenomenal song. This song was sent to me. It was requested that we play it. And I was glad they did. Because it's a phenomenal song. 